It's time for the All-Star Edition of Phillies Talk. The 1982 All-Star Game. You'll see the best and the brightest as the American League takes on the National League at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. On this date in All-Star history, 39 years ago today, Shine Park was the scene of the first All-Star game to be played at night. Bobby Doerr's homer won it for the American League. 22 years ago today, Willie Mays returned to New York for the first time since the Giants moved west and homered off Whitey Ford. And 11 years ago today, Reggie Jackson hit a towering drive into the Tiger Stadium lights in the last game won by the American League. What memories. And tonight, another page will be added to the All-Star Scrapbook. Up in the booth, Vin and Joe are tuning up. They'll be set to call it for you. When we return, we'll have the introduction of the lineups. The 50th anniversary All-Star Game is moments away, but first, let's go to New York and NBC News. Buddy, and welcome to the All-Star Game. I'm Bob Costas, joined in a bit by Bob Euchre and Joe Morgan. In a year that's taking on historic dimensions in terms of home runs and run production, most of the game's greatest hitters are here, but a few are not. Scratched from the starting lineup, replaced by Mo Vaughn of the Red Sox for the American League. So add Thomas now to the names of elected starters, Ken Griffey of the Mariners, Tony Gwynn of the Padres, and Matt Williams of the Giants. All of them will not be able to play in this All-Star game. We'll talk more about that, and we'll also get to the pitching pairing in just a bit. But first, the pregame show. And for that, down to the field, and Hannah Storm. Hannah. Thanks, Bob. Well, the last time the Phillies hosted an All-Star game was back in 1976, and it was that year that a small seven-year-old Philadelphia boy attended his first baseball game. He sat in the stands here, and he dreamed of someday becoming a major leaguer. Well, tonight he returns as the leading vote-getter in the National League, and we will talk with Dodgers All-Star Mike Piazza when we return. And hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. Well, you have to go back to 1996, as we just heard there, to hear the last calls of the All-Star Game as it happened in Philadelphia. Mike Piazza and a whole lot of other great All-Stars gathered there in this great city of Philadelphia at Veterans Stadium for what would have been the final All-Star Game for Vet Stadium, 1996. Of course, before that, it was held there in 1976 for the Bicentennial. Welcome to this special podcast, the Phillies at the All-Star Break 2017. And I'm going to be joined in a few minutes by a great Phillies fan, a good writer, all about the Phillies, Mr. Matt Vizes coming on the show. We're going to talk all about Phillies at the All-Star Break, how they're doing, what we think should happen with this team, a few call-ups maybe, and Maybe even a trade or two. We'll be talking about that as well. So Matt Vizi coming on in just a minute. But the Phillies ended up the first half, the unofficial first half of the season for 2017 on a positive note today, winning against the San Diego Padres 7-1. to And it was the first time in many years that the Phillies had hit six home runs in one game. That's an incredible amount of offensive power there that they showed going into the All-Star break here in 2017. Uh, You have to go back to, I think it was 2004, to find the last time that the Phillies were able to smack six home runs out of the ballpark. And Nick Williams had his first home run today amongst uh, those barrage of home runs. And Freddie Galvis had two for the Phillies on this day. So maybe a lot of that talk from Matt Klintak sunk into these players that 
Nobody on this team is untouchable from either a trade perspective or even an outright release. So a lot of these players today played like they want to stay in Major League Baseball. They want to be on the field for the Phillies, and you can see the result. They had a win going into the All-Star break. That's the good news. Now, the bad news looking over the Phillies' record is that that was only their 29th win of the season so far. And the Phillies have been on the losing end 58 times. So Phillies have doubled their losses uh, so far this year. Jared Eikhoff came back onto the field off of the DL, took the mound today for the Phillies, earned his first win of the season, had a great outing. He's 1-7 now on the year. Hopefully he can turn this around uh, with further starts throughout the uh, rest of the summer and into September here for the Phillies as the unofficial second half will start off in, wow, it seems like a long way away, Friday night, this coming Friday night. Teams have a nice five-day off spell coming up. And uh, on the broadcast today, we're going to talk a little bit later in the program, uh, some great comments from Tom McCarthy, the Phillies broadcaster, about that. What do players do on an all-star break? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. Well, Aaron Nola, not sure if he's even going to be a part of the Phillies towards the end of the month with the trade deadline coming up. Of course, Matt Klintak laying down the line with all of these players and saying absolutely no one is untouchable on this team. And if you ask me, I think he should be included in that as well because he really hasn't done a great job with this team. He's made some errors in signing Odubel Herrera, in re-signing Pete McCannon, I believe. Uh, that wasn't necessary. If anything, he should have did that at this stage in the season and not where they were a couple of weeks into the season and it looked so great and so rosy back then. But things have changed in a dramatic way and it's kind of made him look bad. Matt Klintak, you have uh, a guy that's supposed to be Stanford educated. He's hired a few uh, Google, ex-Google employees to uh, run the analytics department, had a nice different department built for them in the ballpark here at Citizens Bank Park. And, you know, what has this done? You know, you got all these guys with these brains, so to speak, running this analytics group, and you've got nothing but nothing going on over there. I, I think uh, some 14-year-old, 15-year-old kids could have done a better job than these guys that are probably getting paid big money to crunch these numbers and this new uh, sabermetrics type of uh, operation that they seem to be pushing out of the upper management of the Phillies at this time. Well, let's not harp on that too much. We're at the all-star break trying to stay positive here. And let's take a little break in the program. And on the other side of this break, we'll welcome aboard Matt Vesey onto the program. Sponsor an ad on the Phillies Talk podcast. Support our show and let people know about your business. Email us today. Follow us on Twitter at Fightin' Phillies or on our website, FightinPhillies.com. Hi, this is Farley. And Mark from Baseball PhD. Thanks for listening to BaseballPodcast.net. 
Up next, another great episode of Billy's Talk. Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to Fighting Billy's Talk Podcast. Brewtown Sports is your source for Brewers news and notes. Join Mr. Brewtown as he keeps you up to date on all the happenings of your Milwaukee Brewers and Major League Baseball. Follow the show on Facebook and Twitter, Brewtown Sports. Listen 24-7 at brewtownsports.podomatic.com. Hi, this is Gary Mack of Mets Musing, and you're listening to my good friend Rich Baxter on Phillies Talk, right here on BaseballTalkRadio.com, the home of great baseball talk shows. And I'd like to give a big Phillies talk welcome to Matt Vizi from MattVizi.com. How you doing, Matt? Good, Rich. How you doing this afternoon? Not bad at all. And uh, our Phillies uh, led us into the All-Star break today. And we got a nice surprise out of them today. How about that? Six home runs. Who are, who are those guys? Yeah, a, a, another, side, another side to them showed today. Well, you know what? It's 162 games, Rich, so lots of stuff happens over 162. Yeah, six home runs. I think it was the first time since 2004 that the Phillies have hit six home runs in one game. It just was a uh, it was a great thing to see. Uh, I guess a lot of the Phillies thought that if you want an all-star game, you've come to the right place because we're going to show you one this afternoon. So at least they... They treated the fans to a, a nice send-off into the All-Star break here. And uh, it's going to be great to uh, see the All-Star game, but we know what that means. And a couple, couple months from now, we're going to have no baseball. So we've got to soak it in and enjoy this. It's, there's a long way to go, Rich. <laughs> Get your head ahead of yourself. We're just, uh, we just started summer. we got the dog days ahead of us. Uh, we still got the... Like you said, the All-Star game, then we'll be worrying about the trade deadline. And for me, like after that, August is really those dog days. Then we get into the stretch run there in September with all the playoffs. And even though the Phillies won't be involved, should be some interesting stuff. And we'll see some of these kids get called up in September in all likelihood. And uh, around baseball, I know you're a baseball fan as much as I am. You know, there's still plenty to watch in September and October. So lots to keep us busy for a while. Yeah, that's for sure. It just seems like the season just started, though, for me. And then you you blink and turn around, and now we're at the All-Star break. It's uh, July 9th, 2017, as we're doing this. And they had a nice interview. I don't know if you caught the game on television this afternoon, but they had a nice interview with Mike Schmidt and Ben Davis. And uh, Tom McCarthy was asking him, you know, what did you guys do on certain All-Star breaks? You know, how did you spend your time? And uh, I think Schmidt was talking about, coming down to the shore one time he did a round of golf and stayed down at seaview country club which is in uh, galloway new jersey and uh ben davis was talking about you know a trip to florida and also it it kind of puts a perspective on the uh, baseball world you know you wonder what where no double will go this year or uh freddie galvis where will they end up for their all-star break yeah, Schmidt didn't get too many all-star breaks, you know. <laughs> he only had like four all-star breaks. I yeah. think out of uh, 18 years he was on, he, he was like 14-time all-star. So, um, 
he I think early in his career he, he might have missed an All Star game and. Uh, late in his career, he probably missed a couple. In fact, I know he even got elected to the, I think he was elected as a starting third baseman the year that he hung it up. I think they actually tried to talk him into playing because he retired like right at the end of May. Uh-huh. And he still uh, won the all-star balloting for third base. So I think there was some talk about him coming back for the all-star game, which he didn't do, I believe. I, th- I think he may have shown up. Uh, but he but he didn't play. But he made that All Star team. He, it's on his record as him being that was his 14th uh, All Star official election or appearance, whatever you want to call it. And Mike didn't get too many breaks. Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like he was trying to hunt for years that he wasn't playing on the All Star field in the All Star game. Uh, but it's great to hear those stories. Um, of course, the last starter for the Phillies. Uh, was in 2014. Chase Utley got the start at second base for the uh, Phillies uh, in the All-Star game. And before that, you had to go back to 2011 with Roy Halladay. And then before him, 2010, Ryan Howard. So Phillies uh, this year sending Pat Neshack to the game. And I'm, I just can't get into Pat Neshack being a Philly going to the All-Star game. How about you? Uh, you know, Pat Neshek as a Philly is the is the thing. I mean, I think as the All Star, that's uh, we all knew it was only going to be one Philly going this year. Mm-hmm. So, the question of who that was going to be, and you know that it's Neshek, I think it's just um, it kind of tells you a little bit about this year's team. You know, it's it's a, it's a sad story, but I, I actually wrote. Uh, about Nishak's all-star appearance today for in an, an article that published at Fansided and on my website, the title of the article being, It's a Great Time to Be Pat Nishak. Yes. And it is. If you think about Nishak's year, he's, he's had a hell of a year. I mean, if you, if you look back to the trade, he got traded to the Phillies in November from Houston, and he had to think, geez, I'm going from a you know, young, up-and-coming contender to you know bottom feeder. Uh, rebuilding team uh, almost had to think for a, a real competitive guy. I mean, he was in the all-star game previously just a couple of years ago and he's played for some good teams recently. You know, he had to think it might be a little bit of a downer for him. Um, but this year's turned out great. I mean, he was a big key in the team USA winning the world baseball classic. Uh, had, had a perfect appearance for them over five, five appearances and uh, then he rolls in, rolls out of that, helping them, you know, win the world WBC for the first time in, in history. Rolls out of that into the Phillies losing situation, but has himself an all-star first half that is going to, in all likelihood, lead to him sometime in the next three or four weeks, land him with a contender again. So it's, it's a good time to be Pat Neshek. Yes, it is. Of course, this is his second all-star appearance. Uh, his first came with the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2014. And Nishak's had a strange career. He really hasn't settled in anywhere. Uh, he's 36 years old. He's going to be uh, 37 in the off season. So, yeah, he could be possibly looking at maybe uh, uh, one more contract coming down the pike for him. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what team ends up with him. Of course, if you're in the Philadelphia area, you're surrounded by the Philadelphia media. You just 
are inundated with the fact that you know all these clubs are lining up to sign him. He's he's the number one guy that they want to get off of this team, and he's he's a sought after commodity, as you said. He's a a good middle reliever. Uh, some claim he should be a closer. You know, a, a lot of fans. I was reading some tweets today said, you know, Nishak should be the closer on this team. What do you think about that? Uh, you know, he he's not a classic closer in that he, you know, he's not the guy, like, he's not a Jansen or he's not, he's not even, frankly, he's not even like a Hector Neris type. I mean, he's not the type that's going to come in and at his best. I'm talking about Hector Neris. Um, he's not the type, gee, I almost equated Kenley Jansen with Hector Neris there. <laughs> uh, but I, I think people know what I'm talking about. He's not the blow him away, you know, type fireball flamethrower that we think about as a closer. When we think about a guy coming in and nailing it down at the end, I think he's more he, he's more built for that key setup man role, you know, the uh, seventh eighth inning role, uh, even even the eighth, you know, big, uh, you know, that big one batter, two batters, you know, that you need or when you, when right handers come up. But that's an, on a contender. For this Phillies team, uh, you know, they really need – you see all these one-run losses that are, they're getting late. It's probably not a bad – it wouldn't be a bad idea to try. I mean, Nishek is, as you said, you know, you wonder why is he bounced around. I, mean, I always – I've been saying it all year with Ben Lively, waiting two months plus for him to get his chance. All Ben Lively has ever done is win. All he's ever done is produce everywhere he's pitched through the minors and up. But scouts said, oh, he's not that, you know, he doesn't have the stuff or, you know, his, his pitches aren't all there. Well, something's there because all he does is win and his numbers are good. Neshek's the same way. If you look at his record, you're like, all this guy does is pitch well, but he can't. Nobody wants to keep him. I mean, he's on like seven teams and I've never heard anything about him being a problem child. He's. You know, he's a family guy. I mean, I just, you almost wonder what, what teams are looking for sometimes and why they're willing to spend their money in one way and not in another way. I mean, Nishek's the kind of guy you think could have really been a, a key part of a contender's mix for a five or six year stretch. Yeah, I wonder if uh, the Houston Astros wish they still had him on the club. Of course, his interpretation was that they dumped salary, and he was part of that salary dump, and that's sort of how the Phillies ended up with him. But now it seems like... You not want to pay... And that, that is... I mean, they were saying $6.5 million he was due on the option for his contract, but $6.5 million for a team that... I mean, Houston could use him right now. I mean, they're winning, but anybody could use what he's doing. How about Washington. He's Washington. You'd think they would die to have a guy like Pat Nishek right now. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, definitely one of the guys that you can count on, uh, it seems like. Uh, the Royals, Red Sox, and Yankees are among the three teams that ESPN had an article on that are reportedly in line for Nishak's services. And it'll be interesting if the Phillies do move him, who will they get in return him. I hope uh, Matt Clintac has a good idea not to just hand him away because a lot of the times uh, Ruben Amaro seemed to do that with the Phillies. It seems like he would send uh, different players to different teams as a gift, sort of, and the Phillies would hardly get anything back in return for it. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know the teams that you mentioned. Uh, you got you got to think about Houston, maybe wanting to get them back. You got to think about Texas, uh, who has if you if you really take a look at the the wild card standings, they've gotten themselves back into the mix, uh, and of course Washington in the National League. So there's a number of teams. Any contender could use a knee check. So uh, they'll they'll have opportunities, you would think. And so it's hard to say the price that they'll get because bottom line, you're talking about a 36-year-old. He's going to be 37 in early September. So those things, at a certain point, those things matter. But if you're trying to win right now and you're only going to be on the hook for Two million dollars, you know, maybe a million dollars, million and a half dollars of left of his salary at that point. It's it's a pretty good roll of the dice if you're not paying a premium price. So th- that price is going to be the the key. You would think that the Phillies, as good as he's been, that he's going to be inexpensive salary wise to the to the other team. You would think that they'd be able to get a decent price, but. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Clentac does here and if he can pick up anything for any of these guys uh, at the trade deadline that matters. It's going to matter in the long run. Yes, it will. And, of course, Nishak getting back to his all-star appearance, he's got a mission to undertake. It's been reported in the last couple games. He's a big fan of the game. Uh, even if he wasn't uh, going to the all-star game he usually attends the all-star fan fests and he hunts down autographs and he's he's really a big fan of the game but on this all-star game it was reported that he's actually seeking zach Granke's autograph uh as one of the the main players he's gone after for to complete a collection that he has and i wonder if he'll be able to uh to get Z- uh, zach Granke to sign that card for him Oh, Grinky's going to be in the same locker room with him, you know, same field, same side of the field. So I, I can't see why it would be a difficult thing at all. As long as he's willing to, and, and Nishak looks like he's the outgoing type. So I can imagine, you know, Grinky is notoriously, you know, not uh, that way. So hopefully, you know, I can't imagine. It sounds like it's going to be an easy get to me. A couple uh, teams that are in the hunt. We didn't expect to be in the hunt at the All-Star break. Uh, the Twins are still hanging in there. Uh, the Braves have, have picked up some steam, although they're still nine and a half games back, but they seem like they've righted themselves a little bit. Uh, the Diamondbacks certainly are are a great club that's uh, six and a half games back of the Dodgers. So there's a lot of teams that would be out there would probably uh, like Nishak. And another guy uh, mentioned at the trade deadline is Tommy Joseph. And, you know, Reese Hop- Hoskins is playing in the uh, All-Star Futures game uh, going on right now, I believe, down in Miami. But uh, Tommy Joseph has sort of proven himself in the big leagues. Do you really go and get rid of a Tommy Joseph just because it's at the trade deadline now and you got Reese Hoskin- Hoskins in the background? Sure. For me, sure. Tom- Tommy Joseph doesn't. Uh, no disrespect to Tommy Joseph, but he doesn't. Yeah, I don't not deal Tommy Joseph because he's bopped a bunch of home runs. Um, I think that Joseph has a chance to be. Uh, well, he already is 25 plus home run guy in the big leagues. He's proven he is. Um, he can help somebody, but he's a 255. He's hitting 255 right now, and he's. 
he's not uh, I don't think he's a 40 home run hitter so I think what you're ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're looking at a guy whose top end is probably as a 250 255 hitter who hits maybe 25 homers and knocks in you know maybe 30 homers and you know knocks in maybe you know 90 RBIs uh, with a certain you know decent level of defense but not great his on base percentage is just a tick above 300 um, and the argument for for I understand the argument from other people would be well you don't know if you'll get anything from Reese Hoskins well no you don't know anything but you didn't know that from Joseph either, but everybody wanted him up here when he started bashing. So um, I'm confident in what I see from Reese Hoskins when I see uh, pieces of Iron Pigs games on television, when I read about them, when I hear what scouts are saying, when I see what the evaluators say about them, uh, when I see interviews with him. I'm confident in Reese Hoskins. And he's almost two years, a year and a half, two years younger than Tommy Joseph. So if you if some Tommy Joseph can help a contender as a young, you know, somewhat controllable first baseman, and you can get something good for him, I get him in a second and bring Reese Hoskins up here and let him play first base. I don't see that those will be losing anything, and they might be gaining something. I think uh, Hoskins' overall offensive profile looks a little bit better to me than Tommy Joseph. They're both first basemen. They're both blocked at first base, so something's got to give. Yeah, and you have um, Tommy Joseph last year, of course, with 21 home runs, 47 ribbies on a bad Phillies team. But he, he reminds me a lot of Pat Burrell, like a a younger Pat Burrell, 25 years old. As you said, he's still somewhat young. He's going to be 26 in a couple days. But um, he's he's a player that's proven himself to be an everyday player at first base in the big leagues. and. It's not all the time that the Phillies uh, have that sort of a commodity with with those sort of numbers. I mean, if you look at Odubel Herrera's numbers uh, last year, he had 15 home runs and 49 ribbies. And, you know, he got a $32-35 million contract out of the Phillies. So uh, two different players, but I hope the Phillies don't make a mistake with gambling on – uh, a player like Hoskins, then he comes up and he doesn't pan out. I mean, there's a gamble all the time in Major League Baseball, I guess, with certain players. But, uh, yeah, Joseph, he's he's not a non-touchable guy. And, in fact, my, uh, Matt Klintak had said that nobody on this team is is immune to being traded. So that, that kind of told you where he was with this team as well. Yeah, and they shouldn't be. I mean, they're... Who, who can you look at on this Phillies team that is, before their win today, was 30 games under 500? And who can you look at on a team that's 30 games below 500 and say they're untouchable? I mean, there isn't anybody. Uh, I've seen a lot of positive press lately for Freddie Galvis. There's no way that Freddie Galvis is untouchable. He's, he's a nice little player, but uh, I think here's another guy who could possibly help a contender. The thing you have to look at when you're evaluating Freddie Galvis, he makes some great defensive plays. Um, He's a hustler. Uh, All these things are great about Galvis. The but is the Phillies aren't going to be good next year. They're not going to, like, win 
going for you know the playoffs next year. It just doesn't have. There's going to be some transition from a 30 games below 500 team before they win. So the first goal has got to be get competitive, get to that 500 level, you know. And then I think we're looking at hopefully that's next year, and then you're looking at 2019 before you start maybe pushing the win. Well. Freddie Gallus is going to turn 28 years old in November this year. By the time we're talking about maybe winning, he's pushing 30 years old. So Freddie Gallus isn't some 24-year-old kid you know, who's going to be part of the future. That's the way you have to look at these things. If, if the Phillies were a winner right now, you could probably, with the right players around them, you could win with Freddie Gallus, but they're not. And the key is, who do you have? And... We thought we had the guy in J.P. Crawford. Um, he had a real bad, horrible you know, start to the season, but he, he's picking it up lately. Uh, he's got himself across the Mendoza line, and his, his average has been steadily rising uh, down there at the Iron Pig. So the Phillies really have to be hoping that uh, Crawford has a, a big second half in him here and that you know, they actually have that long-term option. Because I don't think Galvis is a long-term – he's no long-term option for me. I'm fine if he stays around and he plays shortstop for another year. But I think they're kidding. Anybody who's writing – I've seen I've seen positive pieces written about him, and they should be. He's, he's a hustler. He's a good defensive player. But I don't see him as a cornerstone for this rebuilding program. So I, I don't make him untouchable. So who is untouchable? Aaron Altair. How how hot was Alan Altair for the first month and a half of the season? Do people still talk about Alan Altair? And if they do, do they realize that over his last 200 plate appearances, that's 50 games. That's not that's nothing to sneeze at. I'm talking about better than a month and a half, 50 games, 200 plate appearances. He's hitting 249 with a 305 on base percentage and just five home runs. So Altair has. I don't know if you can say he's collapsed, but he's nowhere near the torrid start that he was off to. So yeah. we, maybe we need to check ourselves if we want to say that Aaron Altair is untouchable. You know, I've, I've heard that out there. So I don't think there's any untouchable on this current Phillies team right now. And there's where I think um, the un- be like somebody like Nola, maybe a couple of the younger pitchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Phillies and the Mets should should entertain some sort of deal. I'm sure the Mets would like to uh, pick up somebody off the Phillies team, and we need a quality starter like uh, the Dark Knight or somebody. Well, you know, he's had his injury troubles, and does he really fit what we're trying to do with his age and his injury his injury situation? You know what I'm saying? I think that they're going to have to. I don't think that I've seen the discussion with Nola, like what is his upside and. Same with some of the other young pitchers that they have. And I don't necessarily see an ace in this group. I think Nola is, he is the potential to maybe be a two. He's definitely a three uh, already. I think he's a three. So if we say that Nola is a three going forward, which is nothing at all to sneeze at, that's that's a fantastic pitcher. That's a guy every starting rotation has to have. You know, if he's that three number three caliber pitcher, they're going to have to at some point trade for or pay for an ace or two. You know, but you can't do that until you're ready to win. 
You know, they have to start getting some of these younger position players up, like they're like they're doing now with Nick Williams. Finally, uh, they have to start getting some of them into the mix. Uh, the second half of the season has to be about keeping some of these young arms healthy and uh, you know move Helix in and uh, get Velasquez back healthy. Find out what he is. Is he really a starter going forward? Is he going to be your closer? Um, you know, you have to answer some of these pitch. Start to answer some of these pitching questions, and you have to start breaking in some more position players uh, besides Williams. I'd like to see Hoskins up here. Maybe you can deal with Joseph. Uh, you know, maybe maybe another outfielder if Quinn can get healthy. Maybe we can get him up here. But the, the transition has to start. You know, at some point because otherwise you're going to be sinking forty and fifty games below five hundred. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Matt Klintak has his work cut out for him. As we said all along in the last few podcasts, it could be Pete McCannon uh, getting replaced. That could be the spark plug. Maybe some of these guys are too young. The generational differences are so great between uh, a guy like McCannon, who's been in the game for 50 years, and you got a 25-year-old that you know doesn't quite see, see the game from his level. So it'll be interesting to see what the Phillies end up doing uh, in the second half, as you said. And going into the All-Star break here, a little All-Star game history from Philadelphia. Uh, the game was held in Philly four times, twice at Scheib Park, uh, once in 1943, then again in 1952 at Scheib Park, and then twice at Veterans Stadium. Uh, 1976 was the bicentennial year. And then 20 years later, 1996. So we're about due for an all-star game to stop in the city of Philadelphia, don't you think, Matt? Yeah, I remember, you know, I'm fortunately old enough to remember both of those veteran stadium all-star games. And uh, I was a 14-year-old kid when the Bicentennial came along. And uh, I remember it being a big event. It was part of 8 million big events that were going on that year in Philly. We had the president here throw out the first pitch. Uh, you know, the Phillies were just starting to get good. That was the, that would be the first year of three straight years that they would win the division. They had, um, I'm looking down the National League roster right now. The Phillies had Luzinski was the only starter and they had a bunch of reserve players though. Uh, Bob Boone, Dave Cash, Schmidt, Boa. Uh, they had a bunch of Danny Ozark was on the coaching staff. So they Phillies were well represented at that All-Star game. The 96 game, I actually uh, got was working, and I got to attend the All-Star Fan Fest um, for, on, on a work assignment. So I got to get the flavor of what that was all about. But you're right, we're due. The, from what I understand, uh, Philadelphia is intentionally waiting, waiting for – Geez, I wish I could remember now. It's something in the early part of next decade that is a, it's the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. The, I don't know what they call that, not the bi or tricentennial, but something in between there. Mm-hmm. That supposedly comes up in 2026. So that, now, if that's the case, which is what I've heard, then you're talking about uh, still another nine years. You know, before we have an all-star game at Citizens Bank Park, the game would probably be awarded to us 
maybe five or six years from now. So that's my understanding is that that's what they're waiting for. But who knows? We are due. Yeah, <laughs> we're overdue by that time. God, they'll be ready to close Citizens Bank Park. <laughs> they'll be thinking about a new stadium. The vet, you know, the vet got for what? You know, what was the argument about the vet was? Geez, you know, for as as solid a facility as it was, I mean, it got a bad rep at the end, but it, it was that it only lasted 30-some years. You would, you would have thought you would have gotten more time out of that facility. I think that when they opened it in 1971, they would have thought that it was going to be here for a while, If you, especially when you compare it to how long other athletic facilities had lasted to that point. So 30-some years isn't long, but in those 30-some years, they got two All-Star games. And we had two within 20 years, one in 76, one in 96. So our waiting now is, you know, if we wait 30 years from 96 to 2026, it really, if you think about it, it's right. It's actually right because there are 30 major league teams. So if everybody gets a turn, then the Phillies don't get another turn coming to them (laughs) until 2026. We'll have to keep our eye on that. Hopefully it'll be sooner than that. You and I will both be a, a little bit older. and, <laughs> and certain planning on being around, Rich. So. <laughs> certainly, pr- certainly probably wiser. So, uh, But I, I hope it's sooner than that. You know, But if it has to be, it has to be. But closing out the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about Pete Rose. And, of course, uh, next month in August, they're going to be honoring Pete Rose in Philadelphia. And last month, we saw Rose uh, get honored in Cincinnati again with a big statue with a headfirst slide uh, in Cincinnati. It was an awesome-looking statue that they unveiled there in Cincinnati. Uh, The trademark reckless uh, slide there from Pete Rose, headfirst. And uh, we're looking forward to this game, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, um, my wife and I will be heading out to that game. Uh, Pete was, geez, 1979 when he signed. I was uh, I was 17 years old when Pete came in, and I remember really well because the Phillies had, uh, you know, during my teenage years, they had won three straight division titles, but they just couldn't win in the playoffs. And it just seemed obvious. It, it was very obvious that talent was there. They just were missing something. And whether it was in retrospect or at the time, and that that team, people like Schmidt, people like uh, Tug McGraw, um, I've heard them speak over the years. They've said, you know, they realized what they were missing, and I think when Rose came, he was the perfect, the perfect player. I mean, this was a guy who was Charlie Hustle. You know, he was going to light a fire. A veteran player, had won already, had won MVPs, had won All-Stars, had been... You know, uh, part of world multiple world championship teams with the big red machine. I mean, he was the perfect fit for the Phillies. And it didn't start out great. Um, I don't know how many people, you know, everybody remembers winning the World Series. And, you know, Rose was so popular here for five years. But that first season, uh, the Phillies finished in fourth place. There were a lot of expectations. They were in first, as I remember. It all started great. And they were in first, I think, until the middle, middle to the end of May, maybe. And then uh, it just injury after injury started hitting them, and other teams got hot. The Pirates had that We Are Family team that year, and the Cardinals were good, and the Expos were starting to have their a young nucleus with Carter and Dawson and those guys, Reigns. 
And uh, the Phillies finished in fourth in Pete Rose's first year. And I took to that second year before he finally won the World Series in 1980. Yeah, it was quite a quite a time to uh, be around Philadelphia. And, of course, uh, Rose was, was quite the uh, extravagant type of guy, uh, rolling around in a Rolls Royce, I believe I I read. I was a younger guy at the time, and I didn't catch those stories. But, yeah, he was definitely uh, one of those uh, guys that you would probably see a movie about in 20 years from now, you know, these classic baseball heroes, you know, the way he carried himself. And and to a certain extent, he knew he was good as well. He wasn't shy to tell you, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm it. I'm the hit king. Well, what do we think now? Like a guy gets to be... And it's and it's legit, you know. A guy gets to be in his low thirties now, and you start thinking, what's the exit game? Uh, maybe if a, if a guy is still performing at a high level in his you know mid thirties, that is a major bonus. Uh, you start getting to the upper thirties, and it's end of the road time for almost everybody. Pete Rose was thirty eight years old when he came to the Phillies. You know what I mean? Thirty eight years old, and then as a Philly. So after that, he was an all-star four times. He won a Silver Slugger Award. You know, he led the league in doubles. He led the league in runs scored. I mean, he, you know, he led the league in on-base percentage. This is like in his time with the Phillies after he was already turning 38 years old. So, I mean, Pete Rose was one of the best baseball players in the history of the game. He's in no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, all the other nonsense aside... The man deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, enshrined as a Hall of Famer. Uh, you can talk about, as part of that, you can talk about all the controversy that surrounded him. But it's ridiculous to have something called a Hall of Fame without Pete Rose in it. Yeah, and I had even talked to uh, Gary Matthews a few years ago about the story of the 1983 team. And, of course, a lot of people don't remember that the Phillies made the World Series that year as well. Pete Rose was a member of that team, along with Matthews, Maddox, um, Joe Morgan at second for 123 games. And, you know, what a shame. They did not win the World Series in 1983. You don't really hear too much about that season. But that was a magical season for the Phillies as well. As you said, Pete Rose at that time, he was 42 years old and still playing at a high level. So... Uh, yeah, Schmitty as well. I mean, Schmitty put in 154 games in 1983, and uh, you you never hear anybody talk about that. It's almost like the year that Phillies fans forgot because we got into the World Series, but we didn't win. Yeah, it was a it was a very as the you know the nickname was the Wee's Kids. I mean, it was a very veteran team. Uh, they brought in Tony Perez and Joe Morgan. Uh, kind of a little big red machine reunion there with Rose. And I think if my memory shows me correctly, Rose and Perez uh, did a lot of splitting of first base. Rose at that point, like you said, he was 42. Uh, his game, game did decline a little bit that season. Um, but, and I think it's the only year he didn't make the all-star team with the Phillies. But crazy, that was a crazy team in that, they fired their manager roughly halfway through the season. Uh, the Pope takes over, comes down from the general manager seat and takes over as the manager. So they not only do they have an old team, but now they got an old manager. And uh, 
you would think that this is the kind of team that at their age, you know, would just crumble at the end and the young legs would kick in at the end. But the Phillies won it at the end. Uh, they got scorching hot over like the last three weeks of the season. I think it was, I mean, I don't know. We could look it up. It was some ridiculous record over the last three three weeks of the season. Maybe something like uh, 17 out of 20 or something. They, they went on a major winning streak and just uh, kind of pulled away with the division that had been tight up to that point. And they rode that through um, winning the NLCS and even won the first game of the World Series against the Orioles. And it just it kind of looked like, geez, man, these old guys are going to do it. <laughs> but then, you know, just it all came. The, the real collapse in the World Series wasn't so much a collapse, but uh, the Orioles pitching was just fantastic in that World Series. Yes, it was. Uh, Jim Palmer, I believe, was still on that club. And, yeah, they were overpowered. Uh, as you said, they they might not have deserved to be there. They were uh, 43 and 42 before Pat Corrales was fired, a 500 team. But under Owens, they went 47 and 30. So, Yeah, and I think if you look at that, uh, you know, if I could get it somewhere here, that 47 and 30, 17 games over 500, but I'll bet you like 15 of that 17 over 500 happened in like the last three weeks of the season. They were, it was a crazy ending to that season. Yeah, almost like uh, 2007 when the Phillies uh, run the table on the Mets and came back. I think they were 10 or 11, 12 games back with uh, uh, six weeks to go in the season, something like that, were the Phillies in 2007 and they caught the Mets at the wire. Well, a lot of great memories there. The All-Star Game break uh, coming up very fast. It's going to be an enjoyable game this year. And, Matt, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you out on the Internet? The, probably the two easiest places to find me, Rich, are at my all my work I put on my website, which is mattbeasy.com. So it's spelt the way my name is, M-A-T-T-V-E-A-S-E-Y.com. And I'm also on Twitter with my full name, Matthew Beasy. So it's at Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Beasy, V-E-A-S-E-Y. Uh, those are two best places. I've also been running something at Facebook now. So if anybody out there is on Facebook, they can uh, look up the page called Ashburn Alley. And I've been trying to put as much uh, Phillies related, not just my own stuff, but uh, anything that is published out there about the team. I've been trying to... Keep it as like a news amalgamation, you know, news uh, home dumping site for anything that's going on with the Phillies on Facebook. So Ashburn Alley on Facebook, uh, that page, and then my site. And I'm still waiting for fan-sided. Uh, it might be a little bit tougher to find it there, but if they look up on fan-sided, I would recommend everybody follow fan-sided MLB on, on Twitter and You'll get a lot more than my work, but there's a, a lot of good Major League Baseball stuff at Fanside and MLB. Very good. Look forward to uh, all your work in the second half. And, of course, uh, we invite you back uh, all through the season, talking more about the Phillies. Hopefully the Phillies will have a better second half. I know they need major changes. We'll see what happens uh, towards the end of the month with the trade deadline as well. Uh, it's what can we say? We're just going to have to hang in there as Phillies fans. It's We're not going anywhere, but uh, we're just going to have to sit tight, so to speak. Can it get any worse, Rich? <laughs> we're, 
We're trying to get any worse, right? It can't get any worse. That's right. We've thrown in the towel on that. (laughs) We've been to the bottom floor already. Yes. Well, thanks very much for joining us on Philly's Talk Podcast. Have a great all-star game, everyone. We'll talk to you on the other side of it.